Hello, you beautiful human. Yes, that's right. This episode is going to be about me. And that's weird because I've done 51 of these so far and I've not really spoken about me. And for some people who I've met up with after they've listened to the podcast for a while, we actually dive into kind of what I do and, and they were surprised with some of the things I've, I've tried in my life. And so that's what this episode is going to be. And I just want to do a massive shout out to Leo, who is the person who convinced me to do this episode. And also, she might not remember this, but Michaela Sharp, who was one of the people I had on the podcast uh, in like season two, so over a year and a half ago, uh, when we were speaking and I was talking about the journey and the podcast at the end and and she mentioned why don't I talk more about my experience I kind of said oh people don't want to hear that like I, I want it to be about the guest and she kind of called me on it and said is that like imposter syndrome which is stopping you from from sharing more of yourself and the value you have to give and it's always sat with me her sharing that and I think that this is a big part of my imposter syndrome which is actually feeling like I'm relevant enough for my own podcast because I think that for me, I have such a passion and, and I love hearing about other people's journeys and other people's like creative pursuits. Um, and sometimes I might put mine on the back burner and I I think that I am allowing myself to take up this space and this episode. So work with me here. <laughs> um, but if that resonates with anyone, I hope it does. Uh, allow yourself to take up space with your own creative career. Now, I thought I'd start this episode with my quote and I was thinking, is this a quote good enough for creativity? But I think that it's something that has always stuck with me since I first heard it. And that is, it's not the years in your life, it's the life in your years. And whenever I think about that quote, I just think like two things. One, like take every day as it comes and enjoy that day. Uh, but also uh, don't live this life for someone else. Like it's not about what other people think. I think that it's about what you're doing in the now, in this moment that is important. And for me, it's always been around the creative arts and like how am I working more towards that, presenting, music, just fulfilling my own life and what I want to do with it. And that's why that that quote has always been really helpful for me. Because again, it's not about thinking about the longevity of what I'm going to do. It's about like, am I doing what I want to do right now? And that's really helped me in the past. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about my journey. I was racking my brain actually a couple of days ago about how I would start this, like where I would begin. But then I was walking around London after I ha I'd gone to watch a movie and... I was looking at like different areas of London, which I now slightly take for granted. Now I've lived here for about three and a half years, but before I would always be in awe of these spots. And it just reminded me that probably my first real connection to the creative arts and, and theater and production was when I would meet up with my grandma. So we were both outside of London, uh, but anytime I would go to see her, we'd get on a train and we'd head into the center of London and we'd go th see a theater show. And that was just what we did. That was how we communicated. That was the way that we spent time together. And I loved that. But there's some iconic spaces in London that I can't take away my experience with her from these spots. So one of them is the South Bank Centre. No matter how many times I go there, um, for those who don't know the South Bank Centre, just massive creative hub in the centre of London, quite close to Waterloo, uh, the, the train station. But I just have iconic memories of us going there after we got off the train at Waterloo and we'd go to the cafe and I'd get a brownie and we'd sit 
on the, 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 the front and watch people run up and down the Thames. And we just talk and we'd see the different street performers there. And that is like an ingrained memory, not a specific time, but just that's what we did when we came to London. And that's why I think I have such a great respect and a love of London because it was where I really connected to the creative arts. And I also have such a great love and respect to my grandma because she's one of the people who really pushed me down that road of really respecting and enjoying things like theater. So that's how I thought I'd start this which is like what, what part of my childhood was connected to the creative arts and what I do now. And I'd say a big part of that is regularly when I would go see my grandma, she'd take me to London and we'd go to see a theatre show. And it actually connected me to my favourite theatre show of all time and the greatest show I feel like I've ever seen in person. And that was when I went to go see Sweeney Todd. Um, and that theatre show, the reason why it stuck with me is because it wasn't during the show, because the show was brilliant, loved it, there was funny bits, there was scary bits, there was jumpy bits, but it was when I left, for about half an hour after that show, I had this just sick feeling in my stomach because of how intense the end of the show was, and I just remember being like sat on the train and feeling a bit queasy and knowing that it was it was a show and it was people within that show who made me feel that way, and really realizing that I wanted to do something or make something or create something that others would have that same visceral reaction to. And that's where I think a lot of my journey began. But when it came to my whole family, like my dad used to do amateur dramatics when he was at school. My mom used to do the same thing, musicals and stuff in school. And she's got a wicked voice and my dad's just a funny guy. And I think that like us as a family, the creativity was was there. There was a lot of love there. Um, but it was very amusing that me and my mum would connect more around like humour. And then my dad and my sister would connect more around like their engineering and their 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 science. And we would find our things that we really love talking about. But I just remember around the dinner table just laughing so much but also having so many jokes with my mum that my dad would be the butt of, if I'm honest. And uh, <laughs> the iconic phrase from my dad being, I know where I stand in this family, somewhere below the cat. And uh, I think that that was a, a running joke that went through our family um, from the beginning. And I'd say that that was a big part of why I love to laugh so much and why I love being around people and making people smile is because I have such great memories of that as a kid. Another huge memory that I feel really impacted me as a person was the first day my mum got back from America and she said, I saw this comedian on the plane and I need to show you their stand-up. And she brought out two DVDs and these two DVDs were of Michael McIntyre. And for me, my whole world flipped as soon as I saw this guy speak and I've got to say like I've not laughed so much as I did the day which we sat down around my iMac my parents iMac and we we watched this movie these these two stand-up specials back to back and we were just crying with laughter and I think that's why I have such a, a love for comedy such a love for stand-up and that's kind of carried on th with me throughout my whole life as well but Things that I think are kind of pillars, if I look back at where did stuff begin, yeah, comedy was definitely Michael McIntyre really discovering what laughter was and then just mimicking him for years with my family. 
Um, Theatre was my grandma. But music was something I think is kind of unique to me. My dad played the guitar, but I just found that I, I, from a young age, I really wanted to play an instrument. And it was about year three when I was a kid that I, I said that to my family, like, I want to play an instrument. And in my head, there was only two I wanted to play. It was either the drums or the violin. And I ended up playing the drums, but I think that was maybe lucky because I know that for a lot of people, learning the violin is one of the most sounds terrible moments <laughs> for a long time you don't sound good and then you start to sound good whereas I feel like for the drums like you get that beat you get that feeling and then it, it sounds good pretty much from the get-go if you kind of know what you're doing and that's where I really discovered like my internal clock and my internal rhythm was really connected to the drums and I'm so glad that that is what I ended up picking up and learning and so I started playing the drums at about uh, year three so seven eight years old uh, and I haven't stopped since. And it's definitely for me that real heartbeat and that real like feeling of being in the pocket. And whenever I listen to music, I'm always searching out that drum beat and what that feels like. And and when I was a kid, I would be constantly tapping no matter where I was going. And uh, everyone kind of knows me as this energetic person who's constantly like doing something, tapping, doing somewhere. And my friend Tony, who, I, who I've done some music with recently, he says that he's only met one other drummer who has this where he was just, he was doing um, loads of different things, but every so often you would kind of see him sat down and he'd have like, he was constantly fidgeting, but you'd have like this sh shock up his whole body where his whole body would kind of like go wow and, and move. And he says like, every so often I'll see you do that, Chris, just by yourself. You just have this like shock of energy go through your body and I find it hilarious. Um, and I definitely feel that, like I'm constantly wanting to move and do stuff. And yeah, that's what drums did for me. It was my huge creative outlet for a long time. And the first real creative outlet I had, I didn't really get into acting or presenting until a little bit later when I went to my secondary school. But yeah, drums was my thing. Music was my thing. And I loved that. And when I got to about 12 years old, that's when I discovered a couple other things that have been pillars in my life that have really worked into me as an adult as well. So one of those things was acting and presenting and the other one was folk and traditional music. This might be a surprise to some people, but actually my, my family is a, a, like Morris dancers. Like my, my dad did Morris dancing, my grandpa did Morris dancing. And then after seeing that and going to these folk festivals since I was a kid, I decided I wanted to try it. And I, and I really did enjoy it. I really did find it uh, fun, energetic. I love dancing, I love moving. Uh, and that was the way I did it through Morris dancing, which I think is really amusing because how like, how do you get into that? Like, how does that become a thing? But for me, it was it was family. But it was also how my grandma and my grandpa met, like they met in folk. And it was when they were first discovering it themselves. So it's mad to think that like a lot of our family ties and family tree come from something like folk music, which I think is cool. But yeah, for me, folk was a big part of my life. I joined something called Nifty, which is the National Youth Folklore Troop of England, which is a young people in folk from 12 to 18. And, and that's where I really discovered like a larger group of people who are in folk. And there was about probably 25, 30 of us. And we'd get together once a year for a week intensive practice where we'd learn music, we'd learn songs and we'd learn dance. And then we'd go to different festivals throughout the year and we'd play and we'd perform. And so I was performing from 12 and I loved that. 
And I didn't realize, but the people who I was mixing with there are actually the people who I'm in a band with now, who are like part of a big part of my life throughout all of folk and all of just my musical career. Uh, and it's all from me meeting them at like 12 years old, which I think is mad. Along the same time is when I was doing that. So I was I was starting to, to, to perform more at different festivals with, with this uh, folk group. I then really got into music with friends at school and there was a talent show each year. And for me, the thing I really wanted to do was present that talent show. And I don't know what it was within me, but I just loved being in that space. And so in year nine, when I was about 14, 13, I think I was 13 years old, I then presented this talent show, which was what we had called the Arts Festival. And that really ignited this love for presenting that I didn't realize I had within me. But there was something about being completely myself on stage live in front of a real audience and like having to think on my feet and work off the crowd and and introduce and hype people up and and that's what I really fell in love with and it's cool to see like that arc in my life be to today that is that is what I do now I, I'm a presenter and there was just such a love for competition and and showcasing what I could do and that's where the, the the music and the acting and presenting and all of that really came through with my secondary school with this arts festival I was a part of each year. Being on stage is something I've always really loved and enjoyed and being in a live environment I've also really loved. Like I would make videos, I'd make little clips with my friends, make music with my friends, but what I really loved is performing live with music, acting in front of a live audience and presenting at shows and talent shows and, and having that moment where you're trying to get a crowd to have a reaction from you and, and, and roll with you through the evening. And that just kind of carried on through. I was part of different music groups in my school and different presenting with different shows and, and all of that. And there was such a love for all of that. And I thought that that all culminated in me wanting to be an actor. So that's what I pursued. In When I was about 17, I applied for the National Youth Theatre, uh, which is a great organisation in London or in the UK, I mean. Uh, so the, yeah, the National Youth Theatre of Great Britain, which is, again, young people within the acting industry from 14 all the way up to 25 years old. Um, and they had like four and a half thousand people apply each year and only 400 people get in. And I, I did that audition and, and the first year I had no idea what I was doing. It had to be like some, the, the audition was a, a piece that you connected with and felt like you could perform to them. And I chose like some random piece that was not related to me at all. And I started off by like kicking this chair over and I, I will never forget the face of the person who was auditioning me when I, I started off this piece by kicking over a chair and her like little jump when when I did that and then at the end I've been like I've never I've never had anyone kick a chair over before and that's when I realized I was like yeah that's right that's right you saw that I'm getting in and then when I didn't get in I was like maybe it was the chair I think it was the chair that did it <laughs> clearly after a year um I, I initially and this is something I've definitely worked on as a person initially when I got that rejection I was I was angry and upset I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a part of that group. But I think for me, I've started to really appreciate those rejections as more ways of being me, me being able to like take stock, reflect on what I've done and think about how I could change for the next time. And yeah, that's what I did. So rather than really pushing back, because I did initially, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a part 
of National Youth Theatre. When I, when I then did go, actually, I think that it was on me and I think I need to rework what I did and go back next year, like way stronger. I'm so glad I did because the next year I, I came back and I, I auditioned so much better. It was the correct piece for me. It was something I connected with and, and clearly it seemed to work because I, I did get in that year at 18. Um, and I went on this two week intensive course in London at Laban with so this intake course for the National Youth Theatre and that was the first time I'd really gone from my little school and my little town to to something way bigger than myself and being surrounded by all these people who were the people who did all the talent shows and the people who did the presenting and the music within their schools all in the same room it was it was was really cool like it was really exciting to be around that much incredible talent and like feeling slightly like oh i i need to kind of like prove myself like everyone's really great here and and it seems to just come naturally to everyone so i really had to like work at that um but i just remember i think it was a sleep deprivation from two weeks at this uh, at this thing but i got home and i was just like in floods of tears deciding that this is exactly what i wanted to do this is what i wanted to be i wanted to be within the creative industry i wanted to be i didn't want to do anything else i'd kept getting to that point of oh in two years time i'll then be applying for university so what role, what job do i want to do and and i really just decided for myself no this is what i want to do this is what i must do um, and that was a, that was a really cool moment for me because it was it was the first time I'd really had clarity on what I wanted out of my life past education. And then I went to college and I and I studied things I was interested in history, economics, theatre, acting, like politics. And it was weird because a lot of people would say, "Oh, these things all don't coalesce. Like these are all quite random." But these four subjects really broadened my thought process when it came to performing and acting and, and music because the history was looking back at all the stuff that had happened to us in the past. The politics was commenting on what we were doing now. And for theatre, a lot of what we perform is about what happened in the past, talking about political climates we're in now. And then economics was really showcasing like what was the economic side of things along with that political element that was happening at that time. And that all really coalesced, coalesced as well. And that really helped me for my performances because I felt like I understood the wider spectrum of what was going on at that time and why that then influenced the performances. And I knew at the end of college, when I was about 18, 19, I was, I was leaving Nifty. So that was my folk element. I was leaving that and starting a band from the members who were all leaving with me. I was leaving college and, and I knew that I didn't want to go to university. Because for me, what I wanted to do was in the creative arts. And for a lot of people, I think that their, their, their job, they definitely need to go to university to do that. But I knew that to do what I needed to do and what I wanted to do, I didn't specifically need university to be able to accomplish that. And so I decided to take take my time and, and decided to not go to university and, and five, six years later where I am now, I couldn't have made a better choice for myself. I always have that option to go back and do it. But for now, I'm, I'm really happy with the route I've taken and where it's kind of gone since there. And that's when I, I left college. I left these 4,000 people who are all my age. I was in a very big college. And a lot of them went off to uni and I decided that I wanted to really pursue and, and have a go at this creative arts thing and this, this acting and this presenting. And it was exactly at that time 
that I realized what it was specifically I wanted to do. And it was talking to my, I say he's my uncle, he, he's not, but he's always been a part of my life, Chaz, who I've had on the podcast. He's a voiceover artist. His wife, Lucy, is also a voiceover artist. And I was talking to them because they're both actors, they're both voiceover artists, about performance and acting and presenting. And it was Lucy who actually turned to me and said, I don't know if I could ever be a presenter. Like, I would be so frightened of being myself on stage. Like, I love having a script and being able to dive into that and being that character on stage. Like, that's all me. That's that's my comfort zone. Um, but to be myself on stage, I, I would find that quite nerve-wracking. And I remember when I was listening to that, I was like, interesting. For me, it's like the complete opposite. I love being myself on stage. Like, I love being able to work off the audience, get some laughter. And I felt really comfortable in that environment. And I still did feel comfortable being characters and, and acting but for me like the, the the bit which was like that thing I could I couldn't shake and I had to go back and get more of it was was being myself on stage like presenting and that's kind of what I then went in pursuit of so I leave college I leave any form of education I know that I want to be presenting and I know I've got this band that I've joined which is all of the members of my my friendship group who were all musicians and we still wanted reasons after leaving Nifty, after leaving that folk group, to, to still go to festivals, to still perform. And so we started up this band called Out of Hand. And it's a Kaylee band. And for those who don't know Kayleys, it's like a barn dance. Like you have a, a person who teaches everyone in the, the group to like, gets everyone paired up and in groups of six and teaches everyone a dance. And then we're the band which plays for that dance. So it happens a lot at weddings. It's very popular at festivals, like folk festivals. And that's what we did. So we started performing at folk festivals. We were lucky that a couple of the organizers that we knew from when we were in the, the youth group wanted to support us and they helped us get a couple of our first gigs, which was great. And we just started doing that. We started playing at festivals. I started to pursue uh, like presenting and acting. And that's when I decided I wanted to set something up that was my own, my own business. And photography I'd always enjoyed. So I was like, how about, because I'm starting to be around all these actors, how about I start taking like headshots because I just enjoyed connecting with people. I enjoyed taking photos. And so I was like, how about I combine those to be something? And that's when I then went on my two year pursuit of uh, taking headshot photography photos for, for actors and actresses. And it was, it was really fun. It was a great time. I, I felt like I, I had such a love for connecting with people and in a hour and a half session, two hour session with someone taking photos of them, they were in a very vulnerable state. And for me, I just really loved reassuring someone that they were in safe hands and, and getting some really great photos of them. So they were leaving with such high confidence because of the photographs we had taken. And that I had like such a love to be able to have a moment with someone where they could feel really confident within themselves. And so I did that for two years, along with doing some other odd jobs. I, I took photos of people while also going and playing at festivals, pursuing my acting and my presenting. And then I just got very lucky that a role I was doing started to become more presenting based. So presenting to people around all the creative arts, all the things I was passionate about, I could present, I could teach. And that just kind of kicked off. And I started doing that nearly full time, just presenting and teaching. And that is what brought me to London, was that presenting, that teaching. And I knew I wanted to be in a space where that was happening all the time. So I could really pursue my music. I could really pursue this creative arts that I wanted to be a part of. 
And when I moved to London, the biggest thing that happened to me was being surrounded by just incredibly creative people and how that made me feel I wasn't doing enough. Not in a bad way, more like an inspiring way. Like I, would, I, would, I left my little town and I went to London and uh, <laughs> I was like, so what do you do? And people were like, oh, I do this, this and this and I'm pursuing this at the same time and this is my business. And I was like, what, what, what? And just this, this culture of like doing exactly what you wanna do and putting your full effort into it was, was really intoxicating. Like I loved it. I loved being around that. And I think that I've definitely come to ease that off slightly with, I think the pandemic changed a lot of people's perspectives on how much you work, how much you enjoy life. And I think that I've got a nice balance now. Um, but for me, I just loved being around these people and hearing these stories of people doing exactly what they want to do. And from the town I was in, everyone kind of just did the regular jobs and there wasn't a huge amount of people doing the creative arts roles that they wanted to do. But when I moved to London, it's, it's where it's all happening. So people are doing it. And I just wanted to somehow share that it is possible with other people outside of London who weren't surrounded by this. And that's when I decided to set up my podcast. And that's exactly what I'm speaking on now, my own podcast. <laughs> um, 51 episodes in and it's it's pretty mad, but the the full intention of when I, why I set this up was I was feeling like these conversations I was having with the people around me were so interesting and like, enlightening to different routes you can get into the job you're doing now and I felt like that wasn't being spoken about enough so I wanted to create that space to have those conversations and I think that from the different presenting roles I'd done where I'd been interviewing different people that really helped influence my ability to ask those questions which I feel like over time I've definitely gotten quite good at just through repetition and, and working at how to answer ask questions better and how to like maneuver myself within a conversation better um, and that all started with this podcast and I knew when I set this podcast up my only goal was do more than seven episodes and the reason why seven is such a specific number is because I remember while I was setting up this is when podcasting was slightly coming back into fashion like 2019 everyone had started to, to make podcasts again. And I know they were still big, like loads of podcasts going on, but this is like the second coming of the second wave of new podcasts being created. And I saw a stat, which was that the average podcast lasts seven episodes before the person stops. And I knew that I wanted to make this podcast, but I didn't want to stop after seven episodes because I didn't want to have this be just a fad thing I did. I was like, no, I genuinely love this this platform. I hadn't really listened to podcasts before I came to London, but for me, being dyslexic, it was really useful to hear these conversations and not have them written down. So I was like, I love this platform. I really want to do this to share the stories of these amazing people who I'm surrounded by now, but also I want to get better at interviewing, and the only way I do that is through repetition of doing this over and over and over again. And so I, I did. And I'm so happy that it's been 52 episodes, including this one I've, I've done, and I still haven't lost my passion for it. Like, I absolutely love doing this podcast, and I love connecting with people. I love talking with people, and I hope that anyone who's listened from the beginning is still enjoying it. I hope anyone who's new to this podcast has enjoyed the conversations I've had with humans that I think are really cool.
But yeah, my, my biggest goal with this podcast was to not have it just be seven episodes because I had looked at literally uh, a podcast that had pretty much the same name as me. I think it was called The Creative Catalyst Podcast rather than just Creative Catalyst. And they had, this person had seven episodes and they hadn't done it for a year when, when I had started doing my podcast and they literally did seven episodes and then stopped and it had been a year and I was like, I can't have this be me. I need to make it more than seven. So I started by reaching out to the people in my circle of friends who I knew I think would be an interesting conversation to interview and then I'd get them to recommend other people they thought were interesting and that's how I built it out, like purely through recommendations but also some people I'd followed online for a long time that had always inspired me. I'd reached out and that had really helped with creating the podcast. And luckily, even though it was a a weird, weird time and like there was a lot of tragedy in that time but the the pandemic and, and lockdown meant a lot of people who I had asked to be on the podcast but the two things that were kind of stopping people were one having to come to my space to, to record but two also like I wanted to interview them because they were absolutely killing it in the creative industry they couldn't be interviewed because they were killing it in the creative industry and they didn't have any time to do the podcast but then when the pandemic happened and suddenly like stuff was slowing down I actually managed to grab moments with these people who were usually so busy that they had no time. I managed to grab an hour with them to interview them and talk about their journey. And yeah, out of all the craziness in the low times in the first couple of lockdowns, like the one highlight for me was actually finding moments to interview these people I'd really respected but never had a chance to actually sit down and speak with. Now, along with the podcast and that going on, I was also doing music with my band. So we had been playing around different festivals around the UK. And in 2019, we had got our first album together. So we'd recorded um, the, the biggest project we had done. We had worked uh, like, we'd been together for five years, but we'd worked several years on making this album. And then we had five days in the studio. Or was it four days? It was something nuts, a very short amount of time. So we had rigorously got everything together to make this studio time work. And we'd worked with Wagyu Studios, which was our label who, who signed us. Um, Doug Bailey, amazing guy. Um, and he he came in and we recorded from like 10 a.m. until 10 p.m. every night. Um, just like rigorous recordings of all of these these bits of music. And that year was our year, our highest point as a band. We had worked five years playing all of these gigs, trying to make it work. And then that year we'd finally got booked for the headline gigs for what we do, which is Kaylee's. And it was at some of our favorite festivals. So it was Towersy Festival. It was it was Sidmouth Folk Festival. It was Chippenham uh, Folk Festival. And, and these happened. And we launched our album. And we played all these gigs. And it was just this incredible moment of performance. And having so many people coming to dance at our gigs. And it was such a high point, right? And so it was really weird that we had all decided, okay, 2020, we need to take a little bit of a break. Because we've been doing five years straight. No slowdown. And it had it become a lot and we were like will people go past us with their uh, bands because we take a break for a year then everyone took a break for a year and no one performed and that that 2020 year it, it was weird because it was like it was what we wanted we wanted to slow down and stop but also we were missing all the things we loved which was that live performance and those gigs and and those moments 
And so I'm so glad that we've managed to this year, uh, we, we do and we're getting booked for next year, but we've managed to get those gigs back. But yeah, the podcast was going 50 episodes down, 30 episodes down. The band was doing well, like music. I was really enjoying performing, playing around the UK, doing little road trips with a whole band in a, in a, in a van. Um, and the presenting was going really well. Coming to London, I had started to present all these different um, like high-profile events um, within London with lots of different like artists, musicians, photographers, uh, video editors, like so many incredible people. And I'd gone to so many different gigs and, and, and met so many amazing people who were sharing their stories um Caleb Dennis like Stormzy's music video editor he he did an event which I helped out with and and it was really cool to kind of hear his story and and learn from him and so there's so many people too too many to like pick out but people like Caleb was really interesting um I'd say if you don't know who Basma Khalifa is um she's someone now I've known for like three years two two and a half years three years uh, but she's incredible um so many incredible people uh, i've met since moving to london but that that was just like such a highlight being able to present in the city i loved with people who i admired and and having that be a regular thing and also through the podcast meeting more people more people in the creative industry who i've now been able to do other projects with going forward um Luke Jackson Clark, one of my favorite human beings ever, uh, who was in my first season of the podcast. Um, like he and Mike, Mike Will, who are two amazing photographers, they have their photography collective and getting to go to their events and, and checking out all the amazing stuff they're doing has been incredible. Um, all of that culminating from something that I didn't even think I would do more. I didn't know where it was going to go, but the podcast now being at 50 episodes, I had no idea it was going to this many or here. Um, but before I finish up, because I, we've had what, half an hour and, uh, I'll share some stories later at different points, but I felt like this would be a good foundation. I hope it's made some sense. <laughs> um, but I just want to talk about creative block because for me, I had the biggest creative block I've ever had since like pursuing the creative industry. I had over the last year and a half. So April 2021 was the the month that I uploaded my last episode with Gabe Stoneshare, who's an incredible dancer. I'd really recommend to check them out. But I uploaded that episode. And at the same time, me and my sister bought the flat we're now living in and the world opened up in, in the UK and everything that had been the norm for the last like year and a half, two years had then all vanished and it was back to regular life like before the pandemic. And I just remember being so overwhelmed and so burnt out because I was doing this podcast every week and I suddenly was like, I didn't have music because those festivals hadn't come back. The podcast I paused because I just like didn't have enough time to be able to do that along with having to renovate an entire flat, like how to, to, to furnish and get that all together. And I just hit this block that I've never experienced before as, as like giant as it felt, this weight on my chest, not being able to do anything. I'm feeling paralyzed, just sat on my sofa with all of this time and yet making and doing nothing. And at the end of the week, I'd look back and be like, what the hell have I just wasted? 
and having people ask me how's all this stuff going and feeling like I had to perform for them to be like yeah it's all fine when it wasn't fine like it was it was really difficult and it had been like a good six months of literally not creating a single freaking thing and I was just feeling so lost and so out of it and so uninspired and I was like is this ever is this ever going to come back for me and I was I was really worried genuinely really really worried that it wasn't i got really lucky through conversations with my friend gomez who i'd met that year when i was in this creative funk just couldn't couldn't create couldn't do anything um she said you're kind of funny like have you thought about doing stand-up or something i can see you doing that and it was something within me where i'd always thought about it but i'd never done it i was like if there's anything that will encapsulate me loving the ability to be on stage and be myself, but also love that fire under my ass of, of like not knowing what's going to happen, how people will react and getting them on your side. It felt like stand-up comedy was the thing for that. And that's when I decided to push myself and, and just book in for a stand-up comedy gig and just go. And I had a story of like a hilarious encounter I'd had that year. Um, and I kind of formed that into my five minutes of stand-up and I went and I did it and um, it, it was really fun. And seemingly it was a really good reaction from the crowd. Like there was a lot of laughter. So I was really happy about that. And it was just this moment of like doing something completely out of my comfort zone, but also like with the skills that I loved and, and felt like I had worked on um, doing something totally different to what I was used to. And that I'd then started going at least once to three times a week for about, a month and a half, two months straight, going to all these different stand-up gigs around London and performing and just like getting myself out there and just sharing these stories and sharing these jokes and trying to get people to laugh and, and just trying to shake off this. It was the first bit of energy I'd felt for like six months of doing anything creative and I was really enjoying it. And that all happened. And then in December, <laughs> I went ice skating with all my friends and I, I fell and I broke my collarbone and for me, it was a really weird moment because I was suddenly at home, seemingly doing absolutely nothing. Like because of the pain I was in and having to be strapped up, like I couldn't go out and perform and do the stand-up, which I was getting into. I also didn't have any time or, or couldn't really edit or anything because I, I was like in so much pain. And I, I was really worried. But by about the first week was nice because it was you just do nothing and you sit. The second week, I started to have this little wriggle. Like, I want to be doing something. Like, I'm so bored, like, sat here. There's only so many episodes on Netflix you can watch. Third week, I'm like, I've got to be doing something. I've got to be making something. Like, what is going on? All these ideas start flowing back into my head. By the fourth week, I've never felt as motivated as I did in that fourth week of being injured. I'd finally got the sling off. I could finally move about a bit. And I just remember feeling this, this fire within me to create again and it was just this really weird journey from april that year feeling absolutely nothing and then what 10 11 months later in january 2022 i was like it's time to go it's time to create again and i started posting stuff on socials again telling my story about stand-up but also about creative block and I started connecting with all the people who I'd had on the podcast, which I really loved, but hadn't spoken to for like 10 months because this block had just stopped me from communicating with anyone. 
And it was really cool to feel that momentum come back and then starting to do little projects on the side, starting to do some presenting again, and then building up that momentum and then playing live music again this year and deciding that I wanted to bring the podcast back because I'd done, what, 50 episodes and I was feeling so burnt out, but I was like, I still have that desire to do it. And so I booked in my first guest, which was Rosie, who I had on last month. And all of this coming to a head and now back in the flow again, it was a scary year. It was a very, very scary year because I'd never felt this before this full like creative block. But now I'm in much better place. I had my first bout of real like deep depression last August and I'd never, I'd always been a happy guy. I always like never really struggled with um, any mental health stuff, which I was so grateful for because a lot of my friends, I'd, I'd always work with them and talk to them about their struggles and try and help them. And this is the first time it was me on the receiving end. And I was like, geez, like, this is, this is a lot like I'd never really felt what that was like and I have so much respect and admiration for everyone who's going through stuff right now because I I, I just it, it sucked like it was so hard and looking back at it now like I'm glad in some ways I'm glad it happened because I felt like I've got in touch with parts of myself that I wasn't exploring but it's really nice to be back and to to have that energy again and yeah. Oh, by the way, I forgot to say, I started TikTok this year after never creating, never doing anything. And all the jokes that I had from my stand-up, I picked out all the ones which I wish I could tell, but I wasn't able to or didn't think I was able to because they were specifically around my dyslexia. And I, I thought, oh, maybe this this crowd isn't going to be like enjoy it because there's not that many dyslexics in the, in the crowd. But I put that on Instagram, uh, on t- uh, TikTok, sorry posted the joke I'd always wanted to say on a stand-up on TikTok and I left my phone and then I, I, I went to like a show that night, I went to bed and I woke up in the morning. I was like, oh, I, I downloaded TikTok yesterday and I put up that video and I went and checked and the video had 100,000 views. I was like, what? Hold on. <laughs> and I looked at the comments and it was so many people going, oh, I totally agree. And so I replied to a comment and then I, I made another video, which was another joke that I wanted to use. And that one then started gaining traction. And I was like, oh my God. And, and I replied to that one with another video and that was getting traction. And then by the third day, I did a, a third joke and that one had popped off. And within three days, I'd gained 6,000 followers um, and had over like 1.7 million views across these six videos um, within six days of having the app, or within, yeah, three, four days, sorry, of having the app. I had this traction. I was just like, whoa. And so I, that's what I've also been pursuing the last probably like three months is just like jokes around dyslexia and my lived experience and being able to connect with such a great group of people who all seem to be going through the same thing. And it's been really fun. So now I'm like, I've gained like 30,000 followers and um, a couple million views across a lot of my videos, which has been really cool to see that like my lived experience is resonating with a lot of people, but also like the humor, which I, I feel like I was nervous to share on the, the stand-up scene, like actually translates really, really well on, on TikTok. So that's been a really cool moment. And I just want to share that with you. Like whatever is your thing, your identity, like share that. There's so many people who relate to it. And now I share about my dyslexia and a lot more of the things I do. Um, and it's been really cool to see that. And again, if you want to check out any of those, uh, clips. It's just not Campbell Soup uh, on uh, TikTok as well. But yeah, on behalf of me, Chris, that's that's some of my story. 
I hope you found that interesting. Um, yeah, message me if you have any questions. And yeah, I hope I'll see you here next week for another episode of Creative Catalyst. But for now, bye bye. Ha, ha, ha.